Uh, if you've got a Bible this morning, Romans chapter 6, I'd ask you to turn to Romans chapter 6, and uh, a lot of our verses will be on the screen this morning. Uh, you may want to also grab that note sheet uh, that was in your bulletin if you want to follow along. As we work through that, you'll know when lunch is. <laughs> we get closer to the end, and you know that we're about done. Amen? Ain't that how it works? So hallelujah. That's if we get done. All right, I'll just throw that out there. So anyways, Romans chapter 6. So this morning, we are, we're actually in our third week of a little mini-series in Romans 6 called Three Essential Steps to Victory Over the Flesh. And, uh, and in Romans chapter 6, God really gives us some keys to live victoriously in Christ. He gives us uh, some steps, if you will, that every Christian should know and then apply to their life so that we don't struggle with the battle of sin being victorious in our life after we got saved. Uh, every, every believer struggles in this area, and I think that's why God put Romans 6, 7, and 8 in the Bible, uh, because really they are the keys to living victoriously. And so the last couple of weeks, here's what we've, we've learned. Number one, Romans chapter 6, uh, we've learned what we need to know. And, and, and the, the text starts off in verses 1 to 7 with our position in Christ that, that we are in Christ, that, that, that we are dead to sin because we are alive through Jesus Christ at salvation. you got to know that. you got to know that as a child of God. you got to know your position in Christ, that now being born again, you are dead to sin, but you're alive in Jesus Christ. You need to know who you're baptized into. You're baptized into Christ. You're immersed in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and it is a spiritual baptism that puts you in the body of Christ, not your water baptism. And we saw that Paul made a clear distinction between those two things. And, and maybe if that's new for you today, go back on our website, listen to uh, the last couple of weeks' messages, and that'll get you caught up to speed. We also need to know where our old man is. And I'm, I'm not talking about your old man as in your father. I mean your old man as, as, as in your old sin nature. Because the Bible tells us that our old man is presently crucified with Christ. It's on the cross of Christ. If we've been born again, our old man is crucified with him. And the problem is that our old flesh, our old man, our old sin nature wants to get off of the cross and have control in our life. And we have to know some things before we can not let him be victorious in our life. Okay? And so that was week one. We need to know some truths. If you don't get week one, weeks two and three don't really matter. I'm just telling you, and I know that I know this morning that, that some of us still hadn't settled the issue in our heart of what we need to know, and I just want to encourage you, you need to go back and listen to that message, not because I'm a great preacher, but because the truth of that message is something you've got you to gotta hide in your heart from God's Word. You have to know those, those truths and apply them to your life. Secondly, we learned what we need to reckon, and verses 8 to 12 deal with that. We have to reckon the reality of Christ's death and resurrection in our life. We have to make that a reality by faith. We have to believe it. Christ died unto sin once. He was raised. Christ dieth no more. And Christ liveth unto God. And the truth is that you died unto sin, but in Christ you were raised. You dieth no more, and you should live unto God. In Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, he pictures for us what the crucified life should really look like in every Christian's life. You have to reckon that into your life. You have to account that into your life. You can know it, but if you never apply it, it doesn't help you. It doesn't help you. 
and you won't be victorious in your walk with him. And so t- tonight, I'm like Kale. Last, last week, Kale kept saying tonight. Maybe I'm a better night preacher than I am a day preacher. I don't know. This morning, we're going to learn the third step, all right? The third step in this process. And this morning, the message is entitled, What We Need to Yield. What We Need to Yield. And so we're going to be in Romans 6. We're going to be in verses 12 to 23. And by the grace of God, we'll get through that passage. Let me read it. We'll pray, and then we're going to hit the ground running because we have a lot of ground to cover. Romans 6 and verse 12, the verses on the screen. Look what it says. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto who? Unto God, as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under what? You're under grace. What then? And Paul asked the question, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? And the answer is a resounding, God forbid. God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were, past tense, the servants of sin. But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity uh, unto iniquity, Even so now, yield your members, servants, to righteousness unto holiness. And and he's kind of just saying, here's who you were in the past, and you yielded your members to sin, and it resulted in sin. And now you should yield your members unto righteousness, and that's going to result in holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is what? Somebody said it in Sunday, I think it was Todd, said it in Sunday school. Sin always results in, man, that's the end of the road every single time. Every single time. It always results in death. But now, being made free from sin, you became servants unto God. You have your fruit unto holiness and the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray and ask the Lord to teach us. Father, we need you this morning. God, thank you for the time of worship and praise. God, it's for your honor, for your glory. Uh, Lord, we open our mouths and just profess that you are God. We are not. And uh, we're thankful uh, for your love for us. We're thankful for your grace and mercy. We're thankful for salvation. God, you called us now to yield ourselves unto you. And so, Father, every person in this room, God, help us to have an open heart and ears to your word. And and some of us, God, may be struggling on this point. And, And I pray today, before we're done, your Holy Spirit would have its way in our life. And help us to yield and submit to you as only, as only we can individually. Because that's what's best for us and it brings about fruit in our life. And so Lord, bless us now as we study. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So we're talking about yielding uh, this morning. We're going to talk about yielding. Now the Bible uses the word yield a couple of different ways. One of the ways the word yield is used in your Bible is an agricultural sense. How many of you grew up on a farm? Anybody grew up on a farm? Your crop uh, yield uh, is, is the measure of how much uh, production your field had 
for a certain amount of land area. And, and in Mark chapter 4, God uses the word yield like this, where he talks about the, the, the seed and the sower sowing seed onto the different types of ground. In verse 8, the Bible says, other fell on good ground and it did yield fruit. Well, that's one way the Bible uses the word yield, but that's not the way that we're studying in Romans chapter 6. Actually, the way we're studying in Romans chapter 6, the word yield deals with being submissive or, 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 or heeding to a higher authority. So let me ask you a question. How many of you know what this sign is? A yield sign. Okay, now, now I've seen some of you drive, so I don't, I don't know. Some of you may not know what this is. This sign does not mean speed up. This sign also does not mean stop necessarily. Hello? <laughs> it means yield. And, and listen, if you've been in traffic, I actually counted this morning on the way to church just from my house, and I live in this neighborhood. I think I passed like five yield signs, you know, five yield signs from my house to the, to the church. So what this sign means is if you see this sign, you're to slow down and possibly stop not always, you're to slow down and possibly stop because oncoming traffic has, listen, here's the key word, key phrase, it has the right of way. Does that make sense? In other words, you don't have the right of way, you have to yield, you have to submit, you have to, you have to stop and allow someone that has the right of way to continue on, you have to yield. You have to let the other vehicle go through. You don't pull out in front of them and hope that you can accelerate to the point of, of not, them not hitting you. No, you yield. You give way to oncoming traffic. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about yielding. And, and the issue is, the question is, and we'll get to the question. I'm going to give you the question, but we'll give you the blank in a second. The issue is, who has the right of way in your life? Who, who has the right of way in your life, and whomever that is, is what you need to yield to. You need to yield in such a way that, 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 that the authority, that the right of way becomes a reality in your life and in my life. And so, and so number one in your blanks is this. Number one, let's get some blanks filled in. Number one is this, the options of yielding for the believer. There are only two options for the child of God. You and I will either yield to sin or we will yield to God. And for every Christian in the house, listen, that is the only two options that you have to yield to. That's it. Unto sin or unto God. And he says that in verses 13, right? Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And so the key question in your notes is this, who and what has the right of way in my life? Who has the right of way in my life? Now, listen, every Christian in here would say, well, God has the right of way. He's God. Well, the next question then submits to that. Have you yielded to him? Have you yielded to him? And the word of God tells us that there's two things that we should be yielding. Number one, we should yield our members Yield our members, and, and we're going to define what our members are using the Word of God, but our members are what we do, okay? Our members are what we do. And, and again, this is a word when you study in the Bible, there's two applications of this. 
There is an individual application. You have members of your body, and we're going to talk about that. But corporately, we are all members of Christ's body. And so we're going to make a dual application prayerfully out of this point. So individually, your members are parts of your body. Matthew chapter 5 is a great example of this. We see it in verses 29 and 30. So look what it says. Jesus is teaching. He says, If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy, thy members shall perish. What is the member that he just got through talking about? Your eye. And he says, look, if that thing offends you, pluck it out. It's, it's one of your members that thy whole body should not be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Now, listen, there is a doctrinal application of Matthew chapter 5 where some people will need to pluck out their eye and cut off their hand so they're not cast into hell. That is a literal teaching for a literal people group at a literal time, and that's not you, not for the church, not for today. Because, by the way, you can still lust and you can still covet and all the different things that are associated with that, even without a right eye and a right hand. Okay? But I just want to make the point that your members are part of your body. James says in James chapter 3 and verse 6 that the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our, our members, parts of our body. And it's so wicked, it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. Man, that, our tongue, hello, is, is a wicked member of our body, Right? So I just want to make the point that our members are parts of our body that should be yielded. And listen, they're either yielded one of two places. They're yielded unto sin or they're yielded unto God. So we have a responsibility to yield, to submit to the right way in our relationship with God. And that has an effect on the members of our body. Now listen, corporately, the Bible teaches us that corporately we are all part of Christ's body. We're all part of Christ's body. Christ's body is made up of individual members, and it's a corporate body. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 15. Know ye not that your bodies, your bodies, Corinthians, are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? And what's the answer? It's the same answer in Romans 6. God forbid. God forbid. And again, he's talking about the corporate body of Christ made up of all of us individually. We could even say that this local church is made up of members. Us. You're here. We just had a membership thing two weeks ago. We announced the new members of our local church body, right? And so the, the, the message is the point. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 13. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body. That happens at salvation, whether we be Jew or Gentile, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. And so listen, as the body... Your individual body is one body with many different members, hands, eyes, ears, tongue, feet. This corporate body is one body 
but there are many members. Do you see the comparison? In both cases, our members should be yielded to God. So let me just say this. It's not my notes, but I just feel led to say it. You will never be the Christian and and have the victorious life that God intends for you to have individually until you yield your members unto God. Your hands, your eyes, your feet, all the things that are part of your body. In the same sense, this church will never be what God wants it to be. This church will never be victorious. We will never be used by God for the Great Commission if we corporately don't yield ourselves and our members to God. You know, see, the same thing that happens in in a church corporately is what happens individually. It would be awesome for for any pastor to pastor a church where there's 100% yielding to, to God's Spirit in a church's life. But there's never 100%, is there? Now, it's not because you're here. It's just, and you're a good church, and we're a good church, and all those different things. But listen, there's always some members of the body, the corporate body, that just don't submit to the Lord. They don't submit to the structure of the local church. They don't submit to biblical authority. It has an effect on the corporate body. But you know the same thing happens in your life individually. There are certain members that you choose to yield to God and submit to God, but then there's other areas of your life where you say, not there, God, I'm not, I'm not letting you have control of that particular area. You don't yield. Do you, do you understand? And whether it's individually or whether it's corporately, the option to yield is only two. We either yield to sin or we yield to God. We yield our members. The second thing that Paul says in this text is that we not only yield our members, but he says we are to yield yourselves, or or yield ourselves if you want to make it personal, and that is who we are. So we're to yield our members, but then we're to yield our whole self. Yield yourself. And that's a commandment. Listen, that means that you and only you can choose to yield yourself to God. And you and only you can choose to yield yourself to sin. And here's the key principle. I, I hope this is in your notes. I can't remember if I put it in there. I don't even know what day we're having communion. You know, I'm so absent-minded. I don't even know where Brian Kaoma serves. He is in Malawi, not in Zambia. This is in my notes. It may not be in your notes, but you might, you might want to write this down. You are responsible for yourself. You are responsible for yourself. In other words, there are things that God's Word spells out for you that only you can do. That only you can do. Now, we just saw in, in, in Romans chapter 6 that we're to yield ourselves. That means you can't make me yield, I can't make you yield to God. That's a personal choice. And, and I wish we had time, we've got to hurry. But listen, there are other instances in the Bible, like 2 Corinthians 7 1. The Bible tells us, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Listen, that is our personal responsibility. And we would say, well, God, if you would just take away this lust, if you would just take away this sin out of my life. No, God says, I've taken your sin at the cross of Calvary. Clean yourself up and stop walking in that garbage. Yield yourself to me. Clean yourself. You see, this will change the way you pray. Because you'll, you'll, start, you'll start praying biblically. 
Because God says, you know what? You have some responsibility in this relationship as well. You have some responsibility. You see, can't go there. Almost messed up. Just about went somewhere. You know, many of us, we would say we're not Calvinists. We don't believe that God just completely imparts his salvation on us, that we have a choice to choose to receive or reject Christ. Most of us in this room would say, you know what? We don't believe in Calvinistic doctrine, but we live a Calvinistic Christianity because we want God to force his way onto our life in such a way that we are not accountable or responsible. And God says, you've got to choose to yield yourself. You've got to choose to cleanse yourself. In 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 15, the Bible says, Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not, uh, know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates? I mean, you've got you to examine yourself. You know what we're really good at at, at at most churches, and sometimes this church? We're really good at examining everybody else. Hello? You know, we're going to take the Lord's Supper about 1 p.m. when I get done with this message. And as we get to Corinthians and, and we learn the process of, of coming to the Lord's table, God does tell us that we're to examine ourselves, not, not your neighbor, not the person sitting next to you, not the person in church you got a beef with. Examine yourself. But these are the things that we don't like to do to ourselves, but we certainly like to extend to other people. You need to yield to God. I've examined your life, and here's all the shortcomings. If we would spend more time looking at our own life, we wouldn't have time for everybody else. Hello? James chapter 4 and verse 7 says this, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit yourselves. You have to make that choice. Even God won't force that upon you. It's a choice. James chapter 4 and verse 10 says this, Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves in the sight of God and he shall lift you up. These are things that we must choose to do ourselves. No one else, not even God, can choose these things for us. We have to choose to yield individually ourselves. We have to choose to cleanse ourselves if we're born again in Christ. We have to choose to examine ourselves. We have to choose to submit ourselves and to humble ourselves. And that's the only two options, man, that we have. We're either going to yield to the Lord or we're going to yield to sin. Now, the second point is this, and let's go quickly. Point number two in your notes is this. We'll pick it up in verse 14. And I just want to share with you the second point is this. The ability to yield for the believer in Christ comes from grace. It comes from God's grace. You have been given by God's grace the ability to choose the right thing. You've been, you've, you've been given the ability to choose. Look at verse 14. So, so the, the, the epistle reads on, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under what? You're under grace. And then he asked the rhetorical question, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? The answer should be obvious. <laughs> because we're under grace, should we just keep sinning? No. God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. A couple of things that we need to take away from this text is this. Number one, sin no longer has dominion over you, Christian. 
Sin does not have dominion over you as a saved person because you're not under the law any longer. You are under grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor in your life. For by grace are we saved through faith. It is God's grace. Grace, grace, God's grace. I mean, listen, we are under grace, but God's grace doesn't give us the license or liberty to go and live in sin. God, God's grace gives us the ability to choose. And the choice should be to yield to God. I mean, listen, God rigged the system. You don't have to sin because you're under grace. You, you can choose to whom you will yield yourself. In other words, you get to choose who has the right of way in your life, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. And so here's the key principle. God's grace lets you choose to obey and always results in righteousness. When we yield ourselves to God, church, listen, the result of yielding to God will always be righteousness. It, you won't yield to God and, and somehow bear fruit of sin. Does that, does that make sense? It, it is impossible. Yielding to God and choosing to obey God always results in righteousness. You know, we live in a culture of prosperity gospel preachers that if you just do what God says, God's going to bless you, bless your bank account, give you all the stuff that you want. That's all garbage. If you will choose to obey God, you may not have all of those things, but God says it will bring about righteousness. And we have to be content with righteousness. Amen? Because the stuff that, that moth and dust doth corrupt and rust and all those different things, man, listen, it's temporal. Righteousness is eternal. So conversely, listen, if we choose to obey sin, it's always going to result in death. It's always going to result in death. If we yield ourselves to sin, it will always result in death. And so verses 14 to 16 are the clear instruction for every saved person that is saved but still has a desire to live in sin. The answer is God forbid. The answer is God forbid. You know, we do teach and believe that the Bible teaches eternal security, but Baptists get a bad rap because, because so many people have claimed and, and waved that flag as a license to sin. That's not what the Bible teaches. That is absolutely not what the Bible teaches. As a matter of fact, we'll see in just a second, the Christian life should be a life that's leaning more and more and looking more and more holy as we grow in our relationship with Christ. So to be saved 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years and not to have a life of righteousness and not to have a life of holiness means we are not yielding ourselves unto God. And that's a travesty. That is an absolute discrepancy from the Scriptures. Number three, the identity to yield for the Christian, for the believer, came at salvation. Your identity changed the moment you got saved, verse 17 says this, the identity to yield for the believer came at salvation, verse 18, but God be thanked. And I want you to pay attention to the, the past tense and the present tense of these few verses. But God be thanked that you were, is were present or past tense? It's past tense. Ye were the servants of sin, but, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of what? Man, I love verses 17 and 18. God says that in the past, 
You and I were the servants of sin. In our sin, in our lostness, we had no choice but to serve sin because we were lost. I mean, we were unsaved. We're just lost in our trespasses and sin. God is showing us in verses 17 and 18 the difference between our past and our present. And if you look at the word in verse 17 after the comma, but it tells you who we are lost. We were the servants of sin, comma, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Listen, that form of doctrine which was delivered to the Romans was the gospel. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. You, you believed and obeyed it from the heart. And so I'm going to make a few comments here. I hope it doesn't upset you. You know, the gospel is doctrine. Doctrine is just teaching. The word doctrine just means teaching. And in our churches in the 21st century, let me just say this. Listen, we are, we are in the 21st century willing to sacrifice doctrine for unity. Let's put all this doctrine aside and can't we all just get along? Can't we all just be Christians and love Jesus and have church? I want you to understand something. If you, throw, if you throw doctrine out the window, you have just thrown the gospel out the window. And if you throw doctrine out the window, you throw every other truth and principle and precept by which we are to live out the window and you become some kind of ecumenical religious system that is weak as water with no foundation, no stability, no assurance. Hello? But that's where we live. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking in these last days, you know, the Bible tells us that men aren't going to endure sound doctrine. They're just not going to endure it. They'd rather have teachers because they have itching ears. Church, listen, we, we have to be a doctrinally accurate church. Because you need a form of doctrine delivered to you so that you can believe it from the heart. And whether that's the gospel, whether that's any other doctrine that we cover in this church and teach from the Word of God, you need it so that you can believe it from the heart so it can have an impact in your life. That's why we, we major on it at this church. We try to really be biblically accurate. Okay, so, so then the verse says, look, being then, in other words, when, when you believed from the heart that form of doctrine, the Bible says you became the servants of righteousness. And that's dealing with our salvation. And so let me give you two points. The first key is this. Salvation begins in hearing. Salvation begins in hearing. Now, most of you in this room probably are saved. The reason you got saved is because somebody preached the gospel to you somehow. You, you heard it in a church service. You heard it from a friend. You picked up a gospel track and you read it. And the, re, the words on that page jumped into your heart and into your mind. You heard the form of doctrine that was delivered to you. Romans 10 and verse 17 says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. Ephesians 1 and verse 13 says, In whom also ye trusted, after that ye heard the Word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. you got to hear it first so you can believe it. Now listen, again, most of us probably would say we're saved in here. Can I just tell you that we have a responsibility to go outside of these four walls and proclaim the word of truth. We need to take the form of doctrine that is the gospel 
And we need to go out into this mission field and proclaim it so people can hear it and then believe it with their heart. And I'm just going to say some other things that will probably get you riled up, but that's okay. We're almost done. Look, stop trying to just preach the gospel with your lifestyle. Preach the gospel with your lifestyle, but open your mouth and share the love of Christ. Listen, we, the gospel, preaching the gospel is a verbal communication. It's not just, man, let me try to live. We should all yield ourselves to God in such a way that God through us shows righteousness and holiness. That's what God does through our lives. It's not our own self-righteousness and our own holiness. But we should also open our mouth so that when we, we communicate the gospel that people see a message, they hear a message, and they see a life that's been transformed. And it, it makes them realize, I don't have that. I don't have that. Why do you have peace that passes all understanding? Why, why, why when your life comes unraveled, that you trust in God and you don't, don't get discouraged? Why do you love your wife the way you love them or love your husband or love your children the way you love them? Why do you not just pinch their heads off? Well, <laughs> man, because I'm different. I'm different. And it's not me, it's Christ through me. Listen, salvation begins in hearing. We've got to take that form of doctrine. Number one, if you're not saved today, I want to invite you to respond to Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. But as the church, we have to take that message outside of these walls. And we need to deliver it to some other people that are needing to hear it. Secondly, salvation comes from the heart. Because the Bible says that they obeyed from the heart. They had belief. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 says this, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You know, my old pastor used to say, man, if it never sinks from your head down to your heart, you never really got it. <laughs> There's a lot of people that know a lot about Jesus. They just don't know Jesus. They don't know the gospel. You need to hear the gospel, the word of, of truth, the gospel of your salvation, but then you need to believe out of your heart. You need to make a confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. Listen, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. When you can identify with that message, you are now the person that has the ability to choose God, to yield to God, to choose right. In your sin, you were the servant of sin. As a matter of fact, the passage will say in the next verse that you're free from righteousness. In your lostness, you are free from righteousness because you were in so, such bondage to sin. Point number four, the intensity in which we should yield ourselves, verses 19 and 20. So listen, th this kind of gets into the, the meat and potatoes of the Christian life, right? I, I mean, we learn that we can yield to sin or we yield to God. We learn that, that, that we are who we are in Christ, and now we have the choice to, to choose and this is the one that probably gets missed a lot. The intensity in which you should yield. Verse 19, Paul says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your men, members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, unto, unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, servants, to righteousness unto holiness. Stop right there. What Paul did was he said, okay, do you remember when you were lost? How many of you remember when you were lost? Now listen, I hope you remember what your life was like before you met Jesus. When I was lost, I sinned exceedingly because I was lost. I served myself. I served my flesh. I served my, my wants, my desires. 
You did it fervently and intensely. You were yielding your members and, uh, as servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, and it led to iniquity. It, it led unto iniquity. That's who we were in our lostness. But he's saying, listen, now that you are saved, have the same intensity and intentionality in yielding your members as servants to righteousness. Don't be a better lost person than you are a Christian. Hello? Because, man, when we were lost, we served sin and ourself and our flesh fervently and intensely. And how many times, man, do we see it where somebody gets born again, but their zeal for the Lord, their desire to yield themselves to God is not nearly as passionate as they were living in their sin. Something's wrong there. We have to choose to yield, and, and the intention should be as intent or more. Will you be sold out to Christ as much as you were sold out to your sin? Will you be sold out to Christ completely, just like you were sold out completely in your sin and in your trespasses? Listen, he says, even so now, yield your members, servants, to righteousness. God help us to be intentional and intense in our walk with the Lord. If we get lazy, man, on this side of salvation, well, that's a poor testimony. You know, he, he says in verse 21, and I'm, I'm going to wrap it up here because we, we need to take communion and, and observe this, but, but listen, look at, look at verse 21, then I'll give you the blank. Look at verse 21. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now what? Ashamed. And I just want you to, to really understand for a true born-again believer, whatever their lost life was like, before Christ it should be a shame. Sin is shameful. What's interesting is that many people on this side of the cross and on this side of salvation are more ashamed of Jesus than they are their old sin. They'll talk more about their old sin. They'll talk more about the way they used to live. They'll, they'll even be zealous and relish in those things of how wicked and horrible and nasty they were instead of being ashamed. And yet on this side of the cross, people are ashamed to speak of the one who saved them from their sin, the one that set them free, the one who shed his blood on the cross of Calvary for them. And listen, these things ought not to be so, church. Listen, Paul says, what fruit did you have in those things in your old life you didn't have any fruit. It resulted in death. And only because of the grace of God, Jesus Christ, in your life, as now, as now you, you are able to, to, to be saved and, and set apart and freed from sin. Don't be ashamed of him. Don't be ashamed of him. I don't want to come across like a, like a zealous, crazy Christian. Well, maybe you should. <laughs> maybe you should. I don't want people to know I'm a Christian, man. I may lose my job. God's big enough to give you whatever job you need. God, God, can, God can handle your provision. As a matter of fact, I think I read that we just need our daily bread and we need to trust in Him. And, and if you're really trusting that job to provide for you instead of the Lord, maybe you need to lose it anyways. I know that didn't line up with our prosperity culture. It does line up with the Bible. 
You heard a brother last week, Kill Horvath, say, you know what? I was putting my trust in my work ethic and my bank account, and then God let me get sick, and it wiped all that out. And I had to learn, I had to learn that God is my provider, that God is my sustainer. Listen, and, and, and he unashamedly shared, man, I'm not ashamed of the Lord. See, point number five is this. The fruit of what we yield to is going to be evident in our life. The fruit of what, we're going to yield, of, what we, of what we choose to yield to is going to be evident in our life. So he says down in verse, uh, verse 22, But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto what? Unto holiness. And the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so here's the last two blanks. Look, the fruit of yielding to sin in our life, it's always going to result in death. It always is. And that will be possibly physical death. It'll be death in your marriage, death in your relationships, death in your ministry, death in your flesh, death on your job, death, death with, your, with your children, your spouse. Listen, it will always result in death. But yielding... The fruit of yielding to God, it always results in holiness and it always results in everlasting life. Always, 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 always. So I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning of this message. And I told you there's two different ways God uses the word yield in the Bible. Let me just say this, not to be funny, but what you yield yourself to will determine what you yield. And, and if we would look at our life and say, you know what? My life's not really full of holiness. I'm, I'm not experiencing life everlasting. I'm not experiencing this abundant life that Jesus promised. Is he a liar? No, he's not. You got to back up a step and say, what have, been, what have I been yielding to? What have I been yielding my members to? What have I been yielding myself too. Isn't it crazy, man? Christians are just crazy. And I am one, so I can say that. I am one, so I can say it. We just think that if we, if we just continue to yield to sin, that somehow life is going to come from that. And we're just blown away when it doesn't work out. We're just blown away when the reality and the consequence of reaping what we've sown results in death and our relationships, and our finances, and our marriages, and listen, it's just a stink. And we wonder, how did we get here? And we're just shocked. Well, it's because we hadn't followed the biblical principles. We haven't followed the pattern. And so listen, I, I want to encourage you, these things don't have to be so. Romans chapter 6, God gave us Romans 6 so that we can be victorious. God's intention is that we're victorious. God's intention is that we experience holiness and everlasting life and abundant life and righteousness and holiness. That's what God's intention is for every Christian in this room. And if you aren't experiencing that, church, listen, let me challenge you and encourage you. Examine yourself. Examine yourself. And, and ask yourself the question, have I been yielding to sin in such a way that now what I'm living in is really just a result of what I've yielded to. And the answer, if the answer to that is yes, and it will be yes, if you're reaping those things, the answer is just start yielding to God. 
let him have the right of way. Slow down and submit and heed to him and let him have his way. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I'm going to close here. Let me just read this passage and I'm going to ask as soon as I read it, we'll ask Cody to come up and play as we consider the Lord's Supper. You know, really this morning the message wasn't on the Lord's Supper, but it actually leads us right to the Lord's table. It really, really does. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 27 says this. When Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he gives instruction on the Lord's Supper, he says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat of this bread and drink of this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of Jesus of, of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And that word un- unworthily literally means how you observe the Lord's Supper. It's how you eat, how you drink. You know, if we observe the Lord's Supper not yielding to Him, we're observing it unworthily. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. And I'm not talking about most Baptist churches where people are sleeping through the sermon. I'm talking about the Bible teaches that that sleep is death. Sin always results in death, doesn't it? It always does. Verse 31, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Listen, to whom and to what are you yielding to? To whom and to what? Let's bow our heads. We're going to pray to receive the Lord's Supper. Cody's going to come and play as we pray. And this is just time of reflection. Let me just say this. Uh, We have open communion. If you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, Uh, we welcome you to participate in the Lord's Supper today, okay? And so uh, uh, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you certainly are welcome and encouraged uh, to participate. So let's pray. Father, we love you. Uh, God, as we consider these things, God, many of us need to to pause. It's just like we're coming up on that yield sign in traffic. And we need to make sure that we slow down, we pause, we look all directions, and we ask the question, who has the right of way in our life? Who has the right of way? Now, God, if we haven't been yielding to you and submissive to you, Lord, we need to, we need to reconcile that today. Lord, we need, to, we need to come to the place where we say, Lord, you're in control and I'm not. And I'm going to stop yielding my life to sin and I'm going to yield it to you. And, and Lord, that may, that may be a scary thing because we don't know what tomorrow holds. God, you know what tomorrow holds. We don't have to know it. We just have to hold your hand. And trust that every single day you have what's best for us. And so, Father, for every person in this room, I pray, number one, that we ask who and to what are we yielding to. And then, Lord, the Word tells us that we're to examine ourselves. I pray like uh, David prayed, that, that you search our hearts, you try us, and, and see if there's any wicked way in us. God, sometimes there's things that we've so tucked away and hidden that we can't even remember it. And, Lord, your Holy Spirit's able to dig down deep and to find those things and to bring them to the surface and to make us realize, you know what, that's an area, that's a thing, that's a, that, that's a thought, that's, a, that's an action that I need to yield to the Word of God. So, Father, right now as we pray, may you have your will and your way in our life.